you, Lord. Thank you so much for this time we have to come together and study you, to learn more about you, to grow deeper in things we already know. God, we thank you so much for being a God who loves us, who's cared so much about us that you've given us your word that we can um, we can dig into and learn more about you and see all you've done for us and just realize that uh, we are so grateful to have you as our Lord and Savior. We thank you so much for that. God, please uh, speak to me tonight. Let none of my words be my words, but let, uh, they're just your words flowing through me. We thank you again for allowing us to be here. We pray all in your name. Amen. So, as you guys know, this is part two of our our three-week study trying to grasp who God is. Um, last week, obviously, we went through the Father. Tonight, we will look through the Son. And next week, we will look at the Holy Spirit. And uh, last week, as we are going through the Father, I couldn't help but touch on on Jesus because He's everywhere through God's Word. And now today, I get to talk all about Him. And it was funny, as I'm making these notes, I can't help but mention the Father and the Holy Spirit because... All three of them are so closely linked to each other throughout the whole, the whole scripture, and uh, yeah, so we get to see Jesus today. Looking for a particular verse to get. Okay, so as I mentioned last week, um, if you have the notes. Um, some of the verses are are uh, paraphrased, so make sure you look up the the whole verse to get its context. Um, but I have there on your notes um, the the key portions of what I wanted to point out from those verses. But as we know, God has been around since eternity past. We talked about that last week uh, with the Father, um, how Father, Son, Holy Spirit has been around for ever for infinity in the past, and God will be again um, for etern- eternal ugh, eternity in the future. Uh, we saw last week um, that God is, um, He was and He is and He always will be. Uh, he is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. Um, just different ways that uh, we see in God's Word about how He is, He's always been and He always will be. And as a Bible-believing Christian, that's an easy fact for us to believe. Um, but it does go against, obviously, the theory of evolution that um, we have... Uh, sorry. God tells us in His Word that... My notes have typos. <laughs> that's why I can't read my notes. I just talk. Um, but God has been around since the beginning. Uh, Genesis 1, 1 and 2. We all know that one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the earth, uh, the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the, of the waters. So we've already seen that God is from the beginning. Uh, we talked about that again last week with the Father. But God was at the beginning. Um, not saying that God began existing at the beginning but he was already at our beginning he was before that and there we see in that verse verse one and two of genesis one um the father and the and the holy spirit are mentioned here and in in name the son is not mentioned here in this particular passage but that does not mean that he wasn't there a lot of people think that um jesus because actually i'm getting ahead of myself i don't want to say that yet (laughs) Um, but just because the Son of God isn't mentioned there doesn't mean that He wasn't there. Uh, John one fourteen says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and, he, and we beheld His glory, and the glory as of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, Jesus is being described here. He is the Son of the Father, and Jesus is the Word of God. We see that also um, in the beginning part of John, uh, actually the first verse of John, chapter 1, 
uh, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and He was in the beginning with God. All things were, all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. See, even though Jesus was not mentioned in Genesis 1-1, He's clearly mentioned in other scriptures that He was there at the same time. It says Jesus was the Word. The Word was there at the beginning. The Word was God and with God. And creation was made through God and creation couldn't have, or through Jesus, God. Uh, and nothing that was made couldn't have been made without Jesus there. It was it was a, a group effort from the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And without any of the parts, um, creation wouldn't have happened. And we see that Jesus was an equal part in creation as the Father and Holy Spirit. First Corinthians 8, 6 says, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom all things, and we are for him, and one Lord Jesus, uh, Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we all, sorry, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. So, again, there in First Corinthians we see the same thing, that Jesus was there at the beginning, says the Lord Jesus Christ was there at the beginning, and through him um, all things are, and we live because of what Jesus did there at the, begin- at the beginning. And from those two verses alone, and there, there are many more to support it, but those two verses alone we see that Jesus is an uh, equal part with the Father and the Holy Spirit. You know, some argue that because Jesus is the Son of God, um, that makes him lesser than the Father. Um, people try to um, equate the Father and the Son as uh, with their equality, the same as maybe an, an earthly father and son. Um, in our in our earthly um, thinking. You know, a father and a son, they aren't quite equal because, you know, a father would be an adult. He has more standing in the community. Um, he has more rights and privileges as, as an adult. And if the son's a minor, then that's different. Um, if the son's an adult, too, then it kind of messes up my example. But <laughs> but between God the Father and God the Son, there is equality there. Uh, but people, they think that because Jesus was the only begotten Son of the Father, that He is lesser than the Father, and they they take that from the from the the wrong thinking of that Jesus was born because He was begotten. Uh, the word beget means to procreate or to cause. So, in our uh, in our Verse John three sixteen that we all know, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, and so on. We get the word begotten. So, in that word, what they what they believe it means is that Jesus was procreated or that He was caused, but that's not true because of the context. Uh, you know, they go on to say, with, with that with that thinking, that since they think that he was born. So with that thinking, they go on to say that if he was born, then he had a beginning. If he had a beginning, he wasn't God. And if he's not God, then that throws out our whole entire um, belief in our, in our faith. Because um, if Jesus is not God, then our faith is based on a lie. So with that thinking, it kind of it crumbles our whole belief. But um, it's all about the context of, of the word. And that word begotten in our context here doesn't mean what they are interpreting interpreting it to mean. And if if they were right then that that line of thought line of logic would be true but that's not the context the words only begotten come from the come, come from the greek word 
and I might mis- mispronounce this, but monogeus and mono or monogeus. I don't know, but um, it's the only one of its kind or class unique in kind. So when we see there in John three sixteen how Jesus is the only begotten Son, it's not saying that Jesus was the only born Son of the Father. It's saying that Jesus is the one and the only Son of the Father. Not that he's born, but he is the one, the only of its of his kind, of his class. He's unique. There's no there's none other like him. It's kind of cool to think that Jesus is like the one, the only Jesus. And I, I was like, when I, when I found that definition, I was like, oh, that really, in a fun way, describes Jesus because there is no other like him. There's also, um, in 1 Corinthians one fifteen the passage that calls Jesus the firstborn. And those people with the same um, wrong logic, they go on to say that because he's firstborn, he's first born but that's not what that word means either uh first corinthians let me read the verse first corinthians 1 15 says he referring to jesus is the image of the invisible god the firstborn over all creation and then people take that verse and they go on to say that yes i said the wrong it's written down there correctly but i said the wrong thing first colossians 1 15 thank you <laughs> it's written right. I said the wrong thing. Um, but um, with that wrong logic, people go on to take that that word "firstborn" and they go on to think that Jesus was born, and they even take it so far as saying that Jesus had spiritual siblings. And they and the Mormon doctrine actually says that Jesus and Satan were spiritual siblings. Um, they do say that Jesus was greater than Satan, but they still say that they're on the, they're on the same sibling level, which is not at all in God's word. That's complete heresy. Um, Satan is a, is a creation of God. Uh, he is a angel like the other angels, and uh, he became prideful and fell. Uh, we're not going to get into his story, but he, Jesus... Or, Satan was a creation. Jesus has always been. Okay? And when you start to misinterpret these words, it, it tears apart our our foundation and our belief and who Jesus is. And it's so important that when we say we believe in Jesus, we believe in the Jesus that the Bible describes and not what we may think it means. Because throughout the whole scripture, it talks about how Jesus is God. Also in Scripture, talk about how talks about how Satan is an angel. So those two those two facts don't line up in in, for example, the Mormons' doctrine. Uh, we've already seen that Jesus wasn't born from our earlier uh, verses. Um, but when they take the, this ver- this word firstborn out of context. Uh, you get to that that logic. Um, the word "firstborn" here um, in the Greek in this context is "proto." I, I'm going to mispronounce this. "Proto tokos." There you go. It's a lot of O's in there. And that word "proto tokos" uh, can mean uh, two different things, or those two things combined. Um, someone or something that is first in order or someone or something that is preeminent in rank or can mean a combination of those two. And if you don't know what preeminent means, it means to be superior or surpassing. So in our context, we have another verse that that backs up this, this, um, this fact here. In Colossians... Uh, Colossians 1, 16 through 17 says, For by him all things were created that are, that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities and powers. 
All things were created through him and for him, and and he is before all things, and in him all things all things consist. You know, it's not saying that Jesus was born first, but it's saying that Jesus is is superior. He's preeminent in in rank. He's he's. I'm trying to say. <laughs> Um, he's higher in rank. He's higher in status. He's higher in quality. He's not just one of, you know, some siblings. He, he's not even just simply greater than Jesus. On our mixing my words up. It's not saying that Jesus is simply just preeminent over Satan, even though he is. But he's on a whole different level than Satan. He is God. So in our context here. This prototokos is referring to the preeminent in rank, in uh, superiority, not in in birth. Christ had no birth except for what we see uh, in in the Gospels when he is born as a baby. But he's already in existence at that time. He just he's cho- he's choosing to become a human being, which we'll talk about in a little bit. He's already in existence when he's born there. And this is who the Son of God is, who he was, who he always will be. He's the one, the only, the Son of God. He is greater, he's more important, he's more powerful than all of creation. That's what those words are saying, where he is, um, where he's firstborn, um, where he's begotten. That's what those words are meaning, that he's the one, the only the the ultimate superiority. So just like the Father and the Holy Spirit, we looked a little bit at the Father last week about this, how He came down to earth and encountered with um, people and He guided people. Um, he spoke with, with um, Moses and uh, with Elijah and, and a, a lot of other people. We see here also Jesus, he came down also in, in Old Testament times uh, before he came as a baby to to speak with people and to encounter with them and to to guide them along. Bible scholars call this this um, this concept of Jesus coming pre uh, pre New Testament. They call it uh, Christophany, and then. Um, anytime that God appears or God shows up on our on our earth, they call it a theophany. But specifically here, when Jesus comes down to earth to encounter and to um, to talk with people, uh, we we call it a, a Christophany. We've already seen that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So in Exodus thirty three eighteen through twenty, when uh, this is when God the Father spoke with Moses. He said, And he, Moses, said, Please show me your glory. And then God said to him, I will make my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I, have com- I will have compassion. But he, um, sorry, but he said, which was God, You cannot see my face, for no man can see my face and live. So, at this passage here, God appears before Moses, but he appears before Moses in not a, a tangible form. And God tells Moses, if you saw me in all my glory, you could not live. So whenever we see God in tangible human form, that is, that is Jesus coming before he is born in the New Testament. The first Christophany that, that's recorded in the Bible, and some people, they argue whether this is or not. I believe it is. Uh, but in Genesis 3.18, so, and this is with Adam and Eve, uh, with their story, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord, uh, the Lord God walking through the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, uh, uh, from the presence of 
the Lord God among the trees in the garden. And when God confronted Adam and Eve after they committed their first sin, Jesus, I believe this is Jesus here, it says that he walked through the garden and then talked with them. Yeah, it's so it's so neat to see that that Jesus does come down to earth. He does talk to people. He does um, encounter with them. And I, I love this picture here because when Adam and Eve, when they made their first sin, it was the first time that that they created separation between them and God. Um, sin is the one thing that causes separation between us and God. So when they committed sin and they began that separation, Jesus himself came down to go and, and talk with them and to reconcile that. And we talked last week a little bit about this, that um, that God, Jesus here, he actually, um, he killed the first, um, or made the first animal sacrifice for them to cover their sin. Uh, we saw that last week, that they that their sin was covered by the by the innocent death of that animal, and it's neat to see that Jesus is the one here doing that, and he's foreshadowing himself because, as we know, in in time to come, Jesus will be that sacrifice for us, and not to simply cover our sin, but to take our sin away, and that, of course that's our past, but that's their future. Um, God in Jesus' form, appears before people many times. Um, I have a few passages here, uh, but there, there are so many more. But I, I picked some of like the, the key or um, big Bible character um, stories here. Genesis 32, uh, 24 through 30. I only have a, a few of the story here to kind of point out. Uh, but starting in verse 24... Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Now when he saw that he, didn't, he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. In verse 28, And he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you, for you have struggled with God and with men, and have prevailed. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Jacob there, he knew, you know, once once the morning came, that he had wrestled with God, and he was surprised that he didn't die because he knew that you can't see God and live, and he was surprised that he saw God face to face and didn't die. Well, that's because God here came in the form of Jesus, um, that, that tangible human form that... Uh, um, Yes. And in Joshua five thirteen through 15, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, they lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite, opposite of him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And he said, No, but, the commander of the Lord, but as a commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's, of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandals off, for the place you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Um, here it's kind, of, it's kind of hidden in a sense because it doesn't say, uh, it doesn't say God spoke with him. He's, he's named as a commander of the Lord's army. But then it goes on to say that um, that Joshua bowed down and worshipped God, or worshipped this commander. Okay. Looking ahead, real quick at Revelation twenty-two eight and nine. This is uh, John when he is um, being seen visions of the future um, through an angel. It says, Now I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard, I saw, and I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he, the angel, said to me, See that you do not do that, for I am a fellow servant, uh, and your brethren, uh, your brethren the prophets, and of those who keep the words of the book, 
worship God. So angels, um, they, they reject worship on themselves. They point worship always to God. So here, this commander of the Lord's army, I keep thinking the song, and I say it like, commander of the Lord's army. Yeah. Um, this commander, this, this angel, he does not reject worship. He actually tells Joshua that the, that the ground he's standing on is holy. And the other time that this, this holy ground comes up is when God speaks, speaks to Moses through the burning bush. And, and there, because God is present, that ground is holy. So here, the ground is holy, not because of any random reason, but because this commander is, is Jesus, is God. And the ground is holy because God is there. And he did not reject the worship because he is God. The next one, Judges 6, 11 and 12. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, uh, which belonged to Joash, the, these fun names, Abizrite, while his son Gideon threshed the wheat in the winepress in order to hide from the Midianites, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, said to Gideon, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. So right here, we have the angel of the Lord that is speaking to Gideon. And this wasn't just a regular angel. Uh, the word angel in Hebrew is malik, which means messenger. So God's angels are messengers, or his messengers. But here... It's um, well, depending on your your version, um, you may see the word angel with a capital A or a lowercase a. Um, in the New King James version, they they, for our convenience, they capitalize it for a reason, because this angel is not a regular angel. Um, as we said already before, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So when God wants to give a message to his people face to face, then Jesus comes down and Jesus, though he is God, he's being a messenger of God while being God. So we see him as an, as listed here as an angel, but not because he is an angel, but because he is a messenger. And it's so neat to see that, that when God has a, has a message for for these people in the Bible that he wants to tell them face to face, like he he tells his angels and he has angels pass along messages. But these these times here, Jesus comes down face to face to tell Gideon that he is with them, and it's so it's so awesome to see that that God's not above that that he that he's willing to and he and he loves to come down and speak with his children. Another one in Judges 13, uh, 3 and 6, 3, and then jumping to 6. The angel of the Lord appeared to a woman, uh, which was Manoah, and she said to her, er, sorry, and the angel said to her, Indeed now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son, who is Samson. <clears throat> so the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me. And his countenance was like the countenance of an angel, uh, of the angel of God. Very awesome, but I did not ask him where he was from, and he, not, he did not tell me his name. So she describes him as a man of God. Um, the scripture titles him as an angel of the Lord with a capital A. So here we see again um, Jesus as a messenger giving samson's mother the the personal message that she's going to have a child and he's going to be the next judge for israel and if we know the story that's samson another one and the last one i have listed here and there's plenty more but the last one i have here daniel three twenty two through 25 
Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace was exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, fell down bound in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then, the, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste and spoke, saying, uh, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king, look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. So here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're thrown into the fire furnace. They're in a a literal fiery trial, and God chooses to be with them in their trial. And he comes comes in the form of Jesus here. Um, they even say themselves that he looks like the Son of God. And it's so neat to see that Jesus comes down and he wants to show his children that he is with them, that he goes before them, that he loves them. And every every time we see Jesus appear uh, in the Old Testament... It's always for the purpose of, of showing people that he loves them and he is with them uh, in whatever they're going through. And he gives them uh, what they need to be able to accomplish what they're going through there. So just like we saw last week, you know, as many times as the Father has come down to speak with people, same with Jesus, that there's still continually the problem of sin. And yes, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we'll see next week, have come down uh, through the Old Testament to guide people and to, to have God's will be done through their lives. There is still the problem of sin um, through their lives. They're, they're born with sin. Uh, ever since Adam and Eve sinned, they've, they brought sin into our world. And every person born since Adam and Eve have been born a sinner. So... In the Old Testament, no matter how much God is involved in people's lives, they still have sin. They're still sinners. And yeah, they yes, they did the, the animal sacrifices and the offerings to God. But as we saw last week, that was only a temporary covering. And they had to continually do that every single year because um, the animal sacrifice was not an equal sacrifice. So it could not take away their sins. So there's still the problem of sin. And we saw last week that the father had painfully sent his son to, to, to the earth um, to grow up, but then inevitably die. Um, that we, we saw last week that was not an easy thing for God to do, for God the father to do, but he, he sent his son because he loves us, because he wanted to bring us salvation. Now, on the other side of the coin... Jesus being the one who was sent, it wasn't that he was forced to be sent, that he had no say in the matter. Jesus wanted to come. Jesus chose to come um, to die on the cross. As, as equal as the Father sent the Son, Jesus the Son chose to come. We see in John 10... Uh, this is like kind of jumping through the, the passage to get to the main points. But John 10, 11, 15, and 17 and 18 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to, to, to take it up again. This command I've received from my Father. So Jesus himself is saying that he is going to lay down his life, that he is going to, is choosing to come to earth to die. It's his choice. He's not being forced to by, by the Father. He's choosing to come. Um, along with choosing to come, he's coming humbly, um, so much so that he comes as a baby. Um, in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, 
It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, whom, or who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likely, like, likeness of men. And being found in appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So Jesus here, he humbles himself down to be a, a human being. You know, he is God. So here at this point, he now becomes also at the same time human. Uh, we need to not be confused and to think that Jesus stopped being God when he became man. It's one of those things that we, we can't fully comprehend because our minds can't fully grasp this concept. But in fact, Jesus at the same time of being God, he was at the same time fully man. This was so important that he needed to do this because, as we mentioned a few moments ago, um, the animal offerings, the animal sacrifices of the Old Testament, those were only temporary. Um, they were not an equal sacrifice, so they could not last forever. So Jesus chose to become a man. He humbled himself from being in heaven at the, at the right hand of the Father to live on this earth, to be human, and then even go further and to become a baby, to, to grow up and to live his life as a baby and to, to grow up from there. And the, the reason why he came as a baby was so that he can grow up and show, show people of, of that time and to show us reading the scripture that Jesus lived a perfect life. Because that's the other factor of having sin, um, sin washed away completely. We talked about last week that the, the factors are uh, it needs to be a perfect sacrifice, an equal sacrifice, and it had to be death to make uh, to bring the remission of sin. So Jesus was perfect because he is God, um, and he came to show that by living from a baby and growing up to being a man. Uh, Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleansing your, or cleansing your conscience from, dead, from the dead, works to serve the living God. So he came down um, without spot, without blemish, without sin. He came, he came perfect. He was born perfect, and he lived perfectly. As we saw back in Philippians 2.8, Jesus came and he humbled himself, and he became obedient to the point of death, but he became obedient to the nature of humanity, uh, even to the point of death, but he became human. He took upon the natures of being human, the characteristics of being human, minus the sin characteristic. But the things that we go through in, in regular life, um, the, the feelings we feel, the emotions we have, Jesus took that on, um, being obedient to the nature of humanity. And as a part of being human, Jesus became exceedingly, sor exceedingly sorrowful, troubled, deeply depressed, as his death drew near. He talks about that in Mark fourteen, thirty-two through 35. It says, Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him and, began to be, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. He then said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little further and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, uh, the hour might have passed from him. So he's praying to the Father, and he's troubled, he's distressed, he's sorrowful, and he's asking the Father, is there any other way that we can bring salvation to, 
to humanity without me dying. And it's a crazy thought for us for to think that Jesus, he, he came, he chose to come to die, but here he's now asking for if there's any other way to let this cup pass from him. And, you know, understandably, he he's feeling this way because he is human. Um, he knows what's about to happen. He knows that very soon he's going to be falsely accused. He's going to be humiliated. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be hung on the tree, on the on the cross. And he knows that's coming. And in his humanity, he's he's scared. And he's in, in his humanity, he's asking the Father, is there any other way we can accomplish the same goal without having to go this route? In, in his humanity, he's thinking that. But at the same time, he knows the will of the Father. He says, not my will, but your will be done. Not his will in his humanity. Because it's his humanity, he's scared. He wants to find another way. But he wants the Father's will to be done. Because he knows what the, what the grand picture is. There's another factor um, that he's afraid of. Not just simply... The physical, where he's you know, soon to be um, falsely accused, humiliated, beaten, and killed. But that when he's on the cross, he's going to be taking upon himself the sins of the world, the sins of past, present, future, the sins of our past, present, and future. He's going to be taking the sins of the whole world of all of time upon himself. And as sin being the only thing that separates us from God... He's looking ahead and seeing that pretty soon he's going to be for the first time ever separated from his father. We saw the the reverse side of that from the father's perspective last week, how for the first time the father was going to have to separate himself from his son in order for salvation to come about. So here on Jesus' side, he's, he's scared and he's sorrowful that very soon he's going to be separated from the Father. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become righteousness of God in him. So in his, in his humanity, he's, he's asking for a different way. But in his divine, um, in his divine person, he wants the will of the Father. He'd, he'd rather set aside what his humanity will is to do what he wants to do, and he's willing to take sin upon himself to become sin for our sake. And and this this thought of being separated from God, this thought of taking upon sin uh, and becoming sin for us, that's it was so um, stressful and and sorrowful. It says in Luke twenty two forty four that being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And this, this sweating blood is actually a, a serious medical condition, and it's called hemo or hematidrosis. And it's when the sweat glands are surrounded by blood vessels, and the blood vessels constrict and dilate to the point of rupturing. And the blood gets into the sweat glands, and then you end up sweating blood. So, and the cause of this is extreme anguish. So Jesus was literally so scared, so terrified, so sorrowful, that his blood vessels ruptured and got into his sweat glands, and were sweat, and so he began to sweat blood. That's how, that's how sorrowful and scared 
that he was to be separated from God, the Father. Um, I mentioned this earlier, but here's the verse again. Mark fourteen thirty six, And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible to you. Take this cup away from me. Uh, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And he wanted the will of the Father greater than the will of him in his humanity, in his weak human body. And even in his weak human um, in his weak human will, he still was looking after us. He still wanted to show love on us. So he was willing to show us love and to go through this, even though his humanity was telling him to find some other way. And that's what we call sacrificial love. And for a lot of people, that, that concept of sacrificial love is so foreign and strange because why would you sacrifice yourself for, for someone else that you don't even know, that doesn't know you, uh, that could care less about you. But that is sacrificial love for, for doing something for someone else at your cost, but their benefit. Um, you know, the, the best way I can understand these things personally is when I relate it to my own life. And I'm thinking about this concept of sacrificial love and... Um, when I was making these notes, it was it was um, nighttime and the kids were already asleep. So I'm thinking about the kids as I'm making these notes, and this, this little picture popped in my head. And obviously, it's on a much much lesser scale than what the father and son went through. But I'm just kind of picturing a, a pretend scenario. And um, so I'm in bed, I'm sleeping, and I hear one of the kids crying. And I don't want to get up because I'm tired. And um, I just want to sleep more. And then I look over to Becca. It's my my story, not real. (laughs) And I ask her, you know, hey, you want to get the kids? And she says, no. Um, (laughs) No, it's your turn. (laughs) Um, And then in my imagination, I'm like, is there any other way this cup will pass from me. And then Becca says, not your will, my will be done. No. <laughs> um, no, but for real. The way, the way I see this, you know, with, with my kids in, in this little pretend scenario, which does happen a lot actually, you know, I, I could be, you know, dead asleep and I'm like groggy and tired and I don't want to get up, but then the kids are crying. So I, I sacrifice my sleep to get up to go and see what's wrong with the kids and help them out because my love for them is greater than what I want. And that's a, that's a tiny scale of what we're talking about here. Um, but Jesus, he sacrificed what he wanted for loving us. Um, and again, I, I say what he wanted in his humanity because he did come for this purpose. He did come to die on the cross for our sins to bring us salvation. So in his divine nature, this was the plan all along, but in his weak human nature, he's trying to find a different way. But he, he ignores that because of love. He chooses the difficult path because of love. And that sacrificial love, um, you know, through, through the Bible we see that, that God doesn't always do things because He loves us. He, he chooses, to, um, he chooses to, to do things for us because He loves us, but He also chooses to not do things because he loves us. Um, in, and this makes more sense once I finish my thought. But in Mark 2, uh, we already saw that he made himself of no reputation. So in that, um, he was fully God, fully human. But what that no reputation means is that even though he was God, 
he didn't use his divine abilities as a human. So everything he did while he was on earth, he did by the power of the Father and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you if you go back and reread things, you always see him praying to the Father. And that's because he needs the Father to be able to to do what he has done. Because he's chosen to not use his divine abilities, but he's chosen to be like us so we can relate to him. So every time we see Jesus do something supernatural, it's because the Father and or the Holy Spirit has been working through him. And we can relate to that and we can know that if Jesus has done something, we can do it also through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the power of God, the Father. But coming back to what we were saying, um, while he was in the garden after he finished praying, Matthew twenty six fifty two through 53 says, But Jesus said to him, talking to Peter, if you know the story, says, Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or, or do you think that I cannot pray to my Father, and he will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? And he's telling Peter that if he wanted to, he could call upon the Father, and the Father could send um, 12 legions of angels to come and just pick him up and save him, take him away. But here he chooses not to do anything and just let the let events unfold because this is the um, the time the timeline that leads up to his death on the cross. So again, he chooses through sacrificial love to not use his divine abilities and to go through the hard path, the difficult path, the painful path for us. So here we see in this particular story here that the Father and the Son are showing two different forms of sacrificial love. You know, we've seen last week that the Father, I have said this before, but the Father painfully forsake the Son so that events would unfold and bring up, bring upon His death, which would bring salvation. So that's the Father's sacrificial love to us. And then here we see Jesus willing or willingly choose the painful path the tough path, the the um, the path that has uh, much anguish for us. That's his sacrificial love to us. That he's willing to go through all that. Isaiah fifty three, three through seven. says, this is a prophecy of Jesus in the Old Testament. It's very detailed, which shows how how Isaiah was truly a prophet of God. It says, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow and of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and he did not esteem him. Surely. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and and by his stripes we are healed. And all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before the shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. We see that, yes, he chose this path. And as he's traveling down this path to his death, he goes as a sheep to the slaughter. 
And it's, it's, the wording here is not a coincidence that he's pictured as a sheep, as a lamb, when throughout a lot of the New Testament, uh, we are referred to as sheep, and Jesus is a shepherd. We even saw that earlier, um, uh, John 10, that Jesus is the shepherd, we are the sheep. And here in Isaiah, Jesus is being called a sheep. And it's so neat to see in this picturing that Jesus becomes like us to be our sacrifice. And as he is a sheep going to the slaughter, he goes, it says there in verse 7, Isaiah 53, 7, we just read it, that he did not open his mouth. Um, It says that he went silently, showing that he, he went to his death by his own choice. He wasn't fighting it. He wasn't arguing his defense because he was, in fact, innocent. He was being falsely accused. So he didn't fight to get out of it. He chose. He went there willingly. He's the only person on the face of the earth of all of time who what who is truly, in the full sense of the word, innocent. But he didn't say a word as he's being led to the slaughter. Matthew twenty-seven fifty, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and he yielded up his spirit. So he, Jesus, dies on the cross. Okay, he wasn't killed, but he was literally he literally yielded up his life. He gave up his life. Says he. Um, he here it is, um, John nineteen thirty. Same same passage, but different writer. It says so when Jesus came, or when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, "It is finished," and bowed his head and gave up his spirit. You know, his his death. You know the the soldiers, the the crowd, the 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 Jews that rejected him, they um, led him to the cross by their sins. But then Jesus on the cross. He chose to die. He didn't die because of because of the pain. He didn't die because um, he was physically exhausted to the point of death. He didn't die because of the actual crucifixion itself. He died because he literally gave up his spirit. He chose to die on the cross. As we just read in John nineteen thirty, he he said, "It is finished." And that word it is referring to his mission, the reason why he came to the earth, his his purpose why he came. And that purpose was to bring salvation. And he says that it is finished. The reason why he came to the earth is finished. In his death, salvation is, is brought. And the earth knew of his victory is right after that in Matthew twenty seven fifty one through fifty four says then behold the veil of the temple was torn in two torn in two from top to bottom and the earth quaked and the rocks were split and the graves were open and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised or were raised and coming out of the graves after his resurrection they went into the holy city and appeared to many so when the centurion and those who were with him who were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and the things that had happened. They feared greatly and uh, saying, truly this is the Son of God. He dies and it's victorious. The, the earth shakes recognizing of the victory. People who saw, they couldn't deny the victory. And it's kind of backwards thinking to think that when someone dies, they win. But in Jesus' death, we win because he brings salvation. No other way 
can salvation come except by what he did on the cross? Now, as we know, the story doesn't end there. You guess salvation came because of his death. But in order for God, or in order for Jesus to be God, he had to be alive. John ten eighteen says, No one takes it from me, oh, but I lay it down myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up again. This command, this command I received from God. Um, you know, people, they diminish the importance of the resurrection because they think that, yes, Jesus died on the cross and that's all we need. Uh, and, and his death is all we need. But they, they diminish the importance of the resurrection because they, they kind of put it in the backseat of, of the, of his life. But without his resurrection, then salvation falls apart. See, if he didn't rise from the dead, then he would be a liar because he prophesied of his resurrection. And if he was a liar, then what else did he lie about? Secondly, if he didn't rise from the dead, then he wasn't God. Because if Jesus wasn't God, then he couldn't have been a perfect sacrifice. And if he wasn't perfect, then his death couldn't bring salvation. And then his death was pointless. So, his resurrection is very, very key that we understand and believe as Christians and not to just to brush it off because it's just the thing that happened after his death. If we don't believe his resurrection, we don't believe that he is God. And that is key that we believe Jesus is who he is and what the Bible says he is. So in his death, we receive salvation but in his resurrection, his death has worth. And after his, his resurrection, he walked on the earth for 40 days. Um, that's mentioned there. Um, I'm missing a page of my notes. <laughs> it's over there. Um, huh? No, I got here. Yeah. <laughs> it's like he just stopped, and I was like, oh no. <laughs> um, yeah, Acts 1 3. Um, that's the verse that mentions his. Uh, after he rose from the dead. It says, He also presented himself alive after his suffering um, by many infallible proofs, being seen by them. Uh, during the 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So after the 40 days, then Jesus, then Jesus ascended into heaven and was at the right hand of God until he returns um, in what people call the second coming. But from what we talked about already, that, that phrase second coming kind of falls apart because he's, he's come lots of times to earth. But... In Revelation um, nineteen eleven through thirteen says, "Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he and he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like the flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and and he named or he had a name written that no one knew except himself." He was clothed with a robe, dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. So here, in Revelation, it's at the, the end of the story. There's no time to talk about the Revelation tonight. Um, but he will come back again. Um, but he comes back with a different mission. Um, here in the Gospels, he's, he comes for the mission, for the purpose of salvation. When he comes in Revelation... He comes as a judge to judge those who have rejected this salvation. That's a whole different story or uh, study in itself. But that's where he is. But when Jesus ascended, before he left, he promised that when he's gone, he was not leaving his children alone. John fourteen fifteen through 18 says, 
If you love me, keep my commandments. I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, uh, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And if you guys know your Bible, you know that helper that he mentions is the Holy Spirit, which is a good cliffhanger to next week because that's the, the third portion of our study through the Holy Spirit. But it's as I was making my notes for Jesus, there's one central theme that kept popping out. Because there's, there's a lot to talk about Jesus throughout, throughout the scripture. But the one thing that kept jumping out at me, and you might have noticed it, was the fact that Jesus chose to come. He chose to die. He chose because he loves us. And I think, I don't know if it's just me personally, if that's what sticks out to me, or if that's what God is just throwing out there in his word, but at least personally, that's what I see out of all out of all of his characteristics that shines the most is that Jesus Christ chose to die because he loves us. And when we when we realize the sacrifice he made for us, you know, not that he sweat blood because he was afraid of hanging on the cross or being beaten, but that he was afraid and sorrowful to be separated from God. And he was willing to do that because he loves us so he can bring us salvation. That, that fact there, that fact there speaks greatly to me. And it stirs up my heart to want to love him back more. And, you know, as, as we dig in deep to God's word and we really see who God is and what he's done for us, it should stir up in us a greater desire to love him back and to, to share that love to others. So, <coughs> yes, the Lord is great and awesome and humble to love us. Let's end there. God, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you so much as we focused on tonight how much you love us and what you paid for us. God, you give us salvation for free, but it cost you so much. It cost you death. It cost you separation from the Father and we thank you for willing to do that for us. And we thank you so much that you set aside um, you set aside what your humanity wanted because you wanted to bring us out of our our hopelessness. And I pray that as we learn more about you and grow deeper in you, that it changes us from the inside out, that we strive to want to love you through our lives and to share that love to others. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you for all that you've done for us. We love you, God. We pray this all in your name. Amen.